Welcome to That Breastfeeding Podcast, brought to you by the volunteer admins of Extended Breastfeeding in Ireland. We are fully WHO compliant and 100% volunteer-led and sponsorship-free. All opinions expressed here today are fully our own and we speak from our own personal experiences. We hope you enjoy. On today's episode, we will be discussing the fourth trimester, what it is and why it's so important, not only in breastfeeding, but for all parents and babies, regardless of how baby is fed. Hi, I'm Anne and I'm a mum of one from Riscannon. Hi, I'm Emma. I'm I'm a mum of two and I'm originally from Wexford and I live in Kildare. Hi, I'm Lynn. I have two girls and I live in Leakslip. Hi, I'm Rachel. Um, I'm from the West Coast, Ennis County Clare, and I have two kitties, a little boy and a little girl, five and seven at the moment. Lovely. So we're here today to talk about the fourth trimester. So what is the fourth trimester? The fourth trimester covers the first 12 weeks after a baby has been born. So right from whether a baby has been born at home or in a hospital, it, it's that stage when baby is very small and is only getting used to the, the world outside of the womb. And also it's a really important time for mum because mum's body has just gone through an amazing change um, and it takes time to adjust to that. So I suppose that's why we're looking at the fourth trimester as a really important thing to talk about. So you said the first trimester is the first 12 weeks, uh, which makes sense. Um, so is that for baby babies born at any term? Um, is it full term babies? Um, how do we compare um, all babies within that space? I think it's all babies. I think generally you would say that all babies born, the first, it might be a, bit, a little bit longer. I think 12 weeks is really, it's kind of give or take, you know, it depends on the baby. Um, like for 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 us as mammals humans have the the least developed babies where our babies are born the least developed out of all the mammal species so when our babies are born unlike say maybe a giraffe for example because we were in the zoo last week so it's in my head but there was a little baby but when giraffes are born the babies immediately are able to stand up and they're able to run away from predators our babies obviously can't they're completely helpless so those first 12 weeks well, the first two or three years obviously are really important for babies to be grow and develop and walk and learn to talk and learn to eat and all those things. But those first 12 weeks are really critical for babies and uh, for human babies because they've never really known anything except being inside the womb. And all of a sudden they're on the outside and it can be really it's 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 for them. It's a very confusing time, I'm sure, for babies, because now they they're, they're cold. They've never been cold before. They've never felt hunger before. Um, you know, they've never had clothes on them before. They've been in that lovely amniotic sac and all that lovely fluid. And they've had that lovely sound of the mommy's heartbeat. And all of a sudden, everything is completely different. So I think for people to kind of recognize that when babies are born, it's kind of diff- it's kind of difficult to, in a way for them. Um, and one of the things I suppose is a culture here in Ireland and I'm sure the girls will be able to to kind of speak to that is we don't really give much value to that kind of transition for baby and for mommy at all other other countries kind of I think do it a little bit better than we do here in Ireland yeah I think definitely there there's the whole I think every 
parents, they have their gut instinct. And I think our gut instinct as parents is in line with the whole concept of the fourth trimester. But there are so many influences um, from well-meaning family, from friends, from society. And when you hear people say things, you know, from even a newborn, you know, ah, don't let them be getting away with that now. They need to get used to being with other people. And it's like, why? Why do they need to get used to being with someone else? They don't need that. Um, like Lynn said, to, to come from this warm, quiet, dark place where all your needs are met like it's it must be terrifying and one of the consistent things is the mother's heartbeat like you mentioned Lynn so that's part of the reason I believe why you know a baby feels safest on the mother's chest doing the skin to skin feeling that heartbeat and hearing something familiar and I think if we were able to block out those external influences um, and follow our gut that's a lot of us know what to do. We don't need to be told what to do. I think parents need to be reminded to trust themselves and trust their gut. And we all know how to do what needs to be done during the fourth trimester. I remember being told to put my baby down so she'd get used to being out of arms. And this is when she was like a day, couple of days old, but we are carry mammals. So our young need to be held. And that's why skin to skin works with anybody who's maybe minding your baby if you're like taking a shower or whatever if they're upset that skin to skin contact is so natural and normal for them and just warms them up and things that's really fair um, and I think as well like when babies are born they, they don't have that higher brain development so like I was saying they're they're born really kind of underdeveloped neurologically in their brain um, and they revert back to I usually say like cave babies so like back in the cave when if you know baby was put down and away from mommy the first thing that baby will do is cry and every single parent knows when you have a newborn baby and baby's maybe fast asleep and you're like great I'll put them down in the cot now and you put them down and the minute you put them down the eyes open wide the arms kind of startle and they start crying and that's going back to they're kind of, um, I say, cave babies going, quick, mommy, a tiger's going to come and eat me. Pick me up, pick me up. Whereas people kind of say, oh, you know, let them cry. You know, they'll be, they'll be fine. But actually, they're, they're made to do that. That's what they're made to do. They're made to be on us. And like I say, we're carry animals. They're made to be, babies want to be up on us and on mommy. And particularly and, in those first 12 weeks. Like. Yeah, and Lynn, like you mentioned too earlier, um, in, there are other cultures where the fourth trimester is just kind of innately practiced. And even in our own culture, like the Irish in Irish history, um, there would have been times where if a woman had had a baby, they were supported to spend time with that baby. Like there's that the lying in period idea that after a woman has had a child that she's not expected to do anything but be there for the child. Um, Maybe, I don't know if it even stretched to the full 12 weeks, but there was that acknowledgement that this was an important time. And like the advice that Anne was mentioning there, people saying, put the baby down. It's like there's a disconnect that people have lost a little bit of that awareness and other forces have stepped in. Like there are other forces at play that want mothers or, or parents to, to not be there in those times, like the pressure to get back to work or, you know, to be that bounce back, you know, kind of get on with it and get, there's nothing wrong with saying you're going to take time. 
do you know? And I think the more we talk about it, the more we can support each other to to do that. I remember after my second was born, one of the best things that me was a friend who was also heavily pregnant um, arrived over with cooked meals and she didn't ask to hold my baby. She looked and I could see she wanted to, but she put the meals in the fridge and wished me luck and, and left. And I was like, I was in tears. I was like, that is the best, the best thing. Yeah. It's a very, very um, protective time for a mum. Like, um, she's vulnerable and she's been through like a huge, um, I guess, experience of giving birth or having the baby come whichever way the baby came out. And um, she might be in pain and she might have had trauma, but she'll want to protect her baby, like, and hold the baby close. So, whatever we can do to support that is so important, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, that's actually yeah. a really interesting thing. It's not until I had babies that I stopped always asking to hold other people's babies. I yeah. never, it, it mm-hmm. never dawned on me. It's just a thing that you do. You visit, you ask, or the parent offers to hold a baby. And even on my first, I used to offer. And then if the baby cries, you feel guilty and you feel responsible because, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? My baby's crying with other people and they're three days old. And then, and it, it's just this thing in you. And I can't, again, I can't tell you, where did that come from? What made me think that my weak old baby needs to be social with complete strangers that they've never met before? So that's something that I don't do anymore. I don't ask. I remember offering one of my babies to someone to hold them and they went, no thanks. And I was nearly insulted because it was just sort of like, why did someone to hold the baby? But it's just it's really interesting that it's something that I just don't do anymore because they don't want to be disturbed. They want to be with their mommy or daddy. And actually, just on that point as well, it's worth mentioning there are so many different types of of families. And even for families who may have um, adopted newborn babies, that the premise still stands that those 12 weeks are really important. That's the bonding time for the new parents to get to know that baby. Um, because remember the baby, regardless of the parent, the baby's going through that fourth trimester. Yeah, uh, it happens. Um, so just thought it was worth mentioning. And then they'll come out of it as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it does pass. Um, so um, we've talked a bit about the baby's experience in the f- this trimester, this fourth trimester. What's the mommy's experience or the parent's experience? I think for most parents, most parents that I've come across anyway, it's a complete shock, awe and bewilderment. No matter how many babies they've been around or how many of their sister's babies or friend's babies, nothing prepares you for having your own baby. And I think we I think in Ireland, maybe maybe it's an Irish thing, but we don't really talk about the actual reality of having a baby and how different societies perception or what you see in society's reality versus the actual reality are two completely separate things and I remember having my again me having my first and I was you know I'd done my research I went to my antenatal course I did hypnobirthing you know I did a few different things to prepare myself and yeah I just assumed that you know you feed the baby you win the baby you change the baby's nappy and then the baby goes to sleep for three hours and the amount of people that I've spoken to since I said, yeah, I thought that too. And that is not the reality of having a newborn baby. It is, it's all consuming. It's tiring. It's, you know, it breastfeeding, getting your breastfeeding established is, is so intense for those first, you know, for the first six weeks or so while you're establishing your feeding and your, your, your breast milk. 
it's so intense because baby is just on you. It feels like baby is just on you 24 hours a day and they probably pretty much are. And we don't, in, in Irish society, that's not normal. Like that's not perceived as normal. Mm-hmm. And having a baby that wants to be or needs to be, like if you're, if you're breastfeeding, baby needs to be close to you pretty much all the time in those first few weeks. Um, and that's not perceived as normal. And that's kind of, I think, where, like you were saying, like where we get this, you know, put the baby down. Why is the baby on you? You don't need to have the baby on you. Well, actually you do <laughs> if you're, you know, to, in those first few weeks. And I think that's a real shock to people. And that's a real, the the expectation of having a baby versus the reality. It can be actually so soul destroying, I think, to some new parents. Mm-hmm. And, and especially that, if other people's expectations, Lynn, don't match either. So yeah. not, not only are you going through this shock of going, is this forever? Like, why, why isn't my baby the textbook baby? And then other people's expectations are like, well, that's what you're doing. You're making a rod for your own back. And um, so it's, it's, yeah, it is. It's so overwhelming. Yeah, and I think it's, it's such a wonderful time as well that, you know, the self-doubt creeps in. And I think what's interesting is that that baby's behavior is normal. And when you're holding them and keeping them close and being there for them 24 seven, that's you reacting to their normal behavior. But somewhere along the line, that's been flipped around. And it's like, by you doing that, you're causing this abnormal behavior. And we need to remind people and and make it be known to no, that's not the case at all. You being there for your child doesn't make your child need you. Your child needs you innately. And you being there for your child is exactly what you're meant to be doing. And that's why you feel awful when you put your baby down and they cry. Um, you think you should, but if your gut is telling you you shouldn't be doing it, then ask why, what's making you feel like you should do it? And I think that's like so much of the fourth trimester. I probably said it before, but it's like, we all know it. We don't have to think about it. And, and it is a common sense thing. And if we can just be allowed to and empowered to follow that, you know, we know what to do. Yeah, and I think, I think as well, partners are really important in the for, in the fourth trimester. Um, so for, um, for the birth and parent, you know, having given it, this is for people who have given birth and not maybe adopted or had babies other ways, but, um, you know, you've physically gone through a massive, massive journey when you give birth, regardless of how baby comes into the world, um. And actually a person who's very much wiser than me told me this kind of analogy one time and I thought it was great so it's really visual. And, you know, when we see mommies coming out of hospital after a few days and, you know, people are like, well, you want to be getting back, you're doing your housework, you're going to the shops, you're doing this, you're doing that. Well, you know, you've just had your placenta delivered and inside in where you're in your inside of you, you have um, a, probably a dinner plate size wound inside of your (laughs) inside of you if you had a dinner plate size open wound on the side of your leg nobody would be telling you to get up there and make the cup of tea for the visitors nobody would be saying put the bit of washing in the washing machine everybody would say to you get into bed and make sure that heals and it's exactly the same when you have given birth you need to be able to physically heal from the process of giving birth and we and again that's something that we forget about other cultures are great at doing it so there's other cultures i think i was i was listening to a thing about mexico and they have a whole kind of i think it's 40 days lying in period that they do in mexico but they also have like these herbal remedies that they give to the moms 
um, these special teas to help with, um, you know, contraction of the uterus and for healing of the body and so on. And um, so they're quite aware of it there, but we're not aware of it here at all. Like, it's just, you know, you kind of have the baby, go home, get on with it. <laughs> like, how is that? How is that right? <laughs> and I think if you've had a stitch or any kind of um, external damage, you'll get more support. Um, whereas that internal wound is is the more natural space and um, we do get on with it, don't we? Yeah, kind of yeah. have to. Yeah. Um, I heard in Africa there's quite a prominent like um, theory that babies don't cry in Africa. Uh, what's that about? I think it's oh. that based on a, an article or a book originally that that, yeah. um, that African why African babies don't cry, and I think. Th- it is, it is literally about this kind of fourth trimester and baby being close. So it's the idea that in some of the cultures, baby is worn by a caregiver, by a parent, almost constantly. Um, d- day in, day out, they sleep right next to baby. So baby is constantly comforted, um, has access to breast milk, um, access to the mother's heat and heartbeat and voice um, and is moved a lot. Um, sometimes we find, you know, even our cons- our natural instinct to rock our baby on our chest when we're holding them, do you know? Um, and I'd say Lynn or Emma might know even more about it. I, I find it fascinating, this idea that if you just keep them close, that they that they don't cry as much. Yeah, there was some research. That I, well, I don't know whether it was very famous research, but I was listening to a, a thing a while ago. And this particular lady had done some um, work on in West Africa with a tribe in West Africa. And they were they were quite a remote tribe. But she when she went back to she was American, she went back to New York and she had her own children about two or three years later. And she couldn't understand why her baby seemed to cry way more than the babies in this particular tribe. And she'd spent maybe six months out with this particular tribe. And she was actually um, a psychologist herself. And then it clicked one day and she went, actually, those babies were never alone. So she said, maybe sometimes, maybe it wasn't the mommy. She said, initially it was always the mom who had, you know, or the, or a very close relative. So say maybe a granny or an auntie would have the baby but as the babies grew up mommy maybe needed to go and do some other things chores or whatever but the baby was always handed off to either another um you know relative caregiver or some of the older children even and they would like do baby wearing so they'd have the baby constant like you say the babies would always have kind of skin contact or contact with another human being and the babies never cried as a result because they were happy they were like oh just getting on with it they're going along moving around and the, the lady that was giving the talk was like, this was like a light bulb moment for me. She said, and she said, I wonder, I wonder would that work with my baby? So she got a sling and she put the baby in a sling and lo and behold, her baby stopped crying. And she's like, well, this is amazing. Why don't more people know about this? Um, and I think, again, it just comes back to how our culture kind of um, views new babies and new parents. And, you know, we're quite different than a lot of other cultures around the world. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. You've just reminded me of um, I volunteered for the Friends of Breastfeeding Baby Fair a couple of years ago. And it was a really lovely day. Loads of people milling about. But something struck me at the end of the day. And it was like this room was full of babies, but I don't recall babies crying. And when I look back on Mm -hmm. it, it was because I'd say 95% of the babies were in slings. I don't remember seeing any buggies there because part of it is that 
unlike other baby fairs, there are no buggies being sold at this. And I don't know whether that drew mothers who tended to wear their babies more, but at a baby fair, I did not hear babies cry. And it, it just, it was amazing. Like, and it's the same thing. It is because they were all close to their mothers. There was mothers sitting down to breastfeed them. There was mothers feeding them in the slings and. What a scale. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm just thinking that, um, uh, you know, how, how does the lack of knowledge of breastfeeding contribute to the stress that mothers experience in this fourth trimester? You know, because we know, um, breast milk digests super quickly and like it seems like you're feeding the baby constantly for that first and you have the, those bouts of nighttime crying and so with some babies and it's just really hard so it's not a part of it do you think i think so i think that is it comes back to what the the girls were saying about the expectations and Yes. So, so formula fed babies and, and babies who get breast milk, like there might be difference in, in how uh, milk is digested. But when you put in all the other elements that are happening, regardless, because every baby goes through that 12 weeks, you know, give or take, regardless of how they're fed. But yeah, if if you're in that stage and then you are having a little bit of a difficulty, you know, maybe the latch needs working or something like that. If you don't have that support circle around you, if you don't have access to breastfeeding counsellors or La Leche League leaders or IBCLCs, you know, it can compound it a little bit. And I, again, I just am a huge, I have a huge belief in that it's the people that are around us that actually can make a difference to tell a mum, do you know what? Yes, you know, Baba's a little bit upset now. It is the fourth trimester, but maybe we can tweak something here to get this breastfeeding journey um, working for you. Um, but like that, it, it's the people around us. And I think that leads us into, we mentioned partners earlier. Partners, I think, are really crucial in this. Um a partner is such an important role. They're the person not only looking after mum and baby, but sometimes, you know, they have to act as the barrier to protect mum and baby against unwanted advice, you know, to support them to access accurate information. And partners want to bond um, they want to do things. And, you know, we have this idea in our culture that, you know, the best way of bonding with a baby is to feed them. Um, and like it just has to be said that there are millions of ways of bonding with baby and if you really want baby to thrive and do well you need to support and protect the breastfeeding journey um like baby wearing for example is, a, is actually a lovely way for babies and dads to um to bond do you know if mom wants to have a shower or a nap get dad to pop that baby into a sling and walk around and you know they'll have their bonding and they'll smell dad and they'll hear his heartbeat and his voice um but you're still protecting the breastfeeding like when that baby looks for milk you bring baby to mom yeah i think it's it's about in those in that first those first 12 weeks is really the mom's job is to feed the baby nothing else if, if it's just one piece of advice that i could give a new a new parent is that's just mum's job and nothing else. I mean, even to have a list of jobs kind of pre-written out and stick them up on the fridge. So if you do get visitors in those first few weeks to say, actually, could you pick a job from the fridge and just maybe help us with that? That would be really helpful for us as a family if you could do that rather than, 
you know, bringing like, and it's lovely when people want to bring you lovely presents and everything, but sometimes in those first few weeks, the practical help can actually be more kind of useful. So put on a wash for us or stick the dinner in the oven or more important, bring food, bring, bringing food to a new parent is always the best, is always very mm-hmm. welcome. Um, and even more so if it's one-handed food, so mommy can eat it easily. I'm just thinking of uh, my experience, like I'm, I'm married and I had that support from my partner. Many, many people don't have that kind of support, you know, and they have this baby and they're on their own with maybe support around them or maybe support far away will come. But some of this or a lot of this is on them um, and that's really difficult. So how can they prepare in advance maybe to to manage this time? Um, what can people do in advance of this time? Like I do think a big part is knowing this is coming. Because if you know this is coming, you can be a bit ready. But what else could we think of for for anybody who's kind of dealing with this by themselves? I think when you're pregnant, sorry, sorry, go on, no, go on. I was just going to say, just go for food because I'm always thinking about foods on my brain. But having meals prepped so you can do that in advance. Um, can be really useful and then you don't have to think about it after baby comes uh, and making use of online shopping everywhere is doing online shopping now so getting your groceries delivered sorry Rachel no you're great that's very practical I should do more online shopping myself um, I used to think that it, as well as the practical things it's while you're expecting to reach out and see what supports are there in your community before baby arrives um, so having numbers in your phone because sometimes it's a chat is what you need um, so that kind of prep work beforehand for for seeking out people who may support you and it's something we're often for lads we just have to learn how to ask for help sometimes um I'm awful at it I you know I'd be grand I can do it myself or I don't want people to think I'm failing but the more people like us that turn around and say I'm here and I want you to ask and I'll help then we make it easier for parents to actually try and say look pop into a neighbor I've run out of milk and I'm not going down the town to get it now knock in and say hi could I could I borrow a bit of milk off you we don't do it um, and I think we need to need to do it more but I love the idea of prep feeling hungry now prepped meals is a, is a very good one now in fairness um, lots of snacks too as well because come on you're doing a big job here feeding a baby so yeah food vouchers for any food delivery service is good, I think as well. Um, I remember when I was expecting, and I thought I did all the prep, but I bought loads of shite. It's the only way I can say it. I bought a lot of stuff I didn't need. And I remember around five weeks after getting a block duct and it was so painful, I'd had the baby in the cot beside me, I hadn't heard her for a while. She was looking for milk. She was just rooting around in the thing. And she'd rolled over into the side and she was just lying there, like snuffling away. And I felt so bad. And I brought her into the bed with me from then on. And it was a massive game changer to have her beside me at nighttime um, and for our naps to feed. So how can we make sure we're doing all the right things to protect the baby in that space? So there's a thing called the safe sleep seven. So I think traditionally we've always heard that co-sleeping or sleeping with baby is dangerous. And the research doesn't actually really say that. It says there's co-sleeping with baby is dangerous if you have certain risk factors so there is kind of a list of things that you should follow if you are deciding to co-sleep so one is um no smoke and no nobody in the bed who smokes nobody um taking any sort of drugs and um, be they illegal drugs or um, medications that maybe make you extra drowsy that where you go into a deep sleep and um, you know not to have lots of there's a few other bits and pieces and um, just around the safe sleep but um, one of the big 
things is that baby is being breastfed. So there's a load of research and there's a whole other podcast in there about sleeping with baby and, and you know, kind of what's developmentally normal for babies and sleep. Um, but just to say, if people are considering um, co-sleep, and I think it, I think the survey, there was a survey done, and I think it's 75% of parents have co-slept with a baby at some point or another. Um, so the chances are, if you're breastfeeding, it's late at night, you're tired, the chances are you probably want to bring baby into bed with you. And it's a good idea just to have it in your mind that that may happen at some point and to know what the what the safe sleep seven are and get yourself set up so that if you do bring baby into bed, that it's the safest thing that, you, you know, the safest way that you can. Yeah, and I like the, that idea that it might happen. It mightn't be something that you were planning to do, but that naturally you kind of realize this is where to go so having that information beforehand is really important because unfortunately what does happen is that sometimes parents get up to feed baby in the middle of the night and they're sitting upright on a couch or in a chair and they've got the baby in their chest and they they fall asleep that way and unfortunately that's not safe do you know so if, if a parent is at the stage that they're getting up every night several times and they're falling asleep sitting upright on a couch it, it, it's not safe it's not comfortable and there is there is a way to do it safely but it is important to know those um the safe seven sleep um guidelines and then there's the basis website as well just checking the address of it here it's a really good resource as well um it's www.basisonline.org.uk and that's a really good resource as well um and actually a really good point lynn that yeah even if you're not planning to do it get that information there so that when you do Come across a situation where you're going to bring the baby into bed like I've seen it before and people are they're worried the next day they're guilty the next day they feel like they were taking risks because they don't know whether what they did was safe or not so having that information means that yeah you can be confident if you ever find yourself in the situation where you need to I'm just looking at the time we don't have much time left but I'd love to touch real quick on postpartum doulas I wish I'd known about them I really here. Um, yeah. I, I just think the whole idea of it, the whole concept of it, that the mother being cared for and having someone there to do the practical stuff. I, I wonder out of curiosity whether if you had a postpartum doula for the first week or two after you had your baby, would that get you into the frame of mind where it is completely acceptable for you to be helped? And then when the postpartum doula is gone, would that make you more comfortable and being like, do you know what? I am going to ask someone to do this. Um, Cause I think if you see that it's okay, it's not me being lazy. I've said to so many mothers who said, you know, I feel like I didn't do anything today. And I'm like, you've kept a human alive with your body. And that is the most amazing thing that you could possibly do. And if you're doing that every day, you're doing one hell of a job. So of course other people should be there to look at you or look after you. But um, yeah, I, I don't know a huge amount about them because unfortunately I never knew, but I just, I love the idea of it. I think it's amazing. And I think, I think it should be state sponsored. And I think every, every new parent should have a, a postpartum doula. Absolutely. For those who don't know, um, a postpartum doula would be somebody who you pay to come into your house and they will give, it depends on the doula, um, but they will usually give like practical support. So they may come and do a bit of like cleaning, they might prepare meals, they might help look after older children. So if you've older children in the house, they may help look after and some of them then would be 
maybe specialized in like helping with breastfeeding support and that kind of thing. Um, but Emma was just saying she, they should be state sponsored in the Netherlands. They are. So in the Netherlands, um, they come for the first, I think it's two weeks for about five or six hours a day. Absolutely. And that's completely free. That's paid for by the state. And they're actually, I think they're, they're usually, I think, registered nurses, I think. So I don't think they're just simply a, a post, they might be just as postpartum doula, but I think, I think they're a little bit more than um, a postpartum doula. So I think they do have kind of some sort of medical background as well. But, um, but yeah, they come for the first two weeks after babies are born, all free. Like, I want to live there. <laughs> That's amazing. The difference that would make on on a practical level and even on an emotional level to have someone there reassuring the the parent that, you know, that they're doing well, that they're doing good, that this is all normal. If you get that into your head the first two weeks that your baby's behavior is normal and this is all part of it, like what a foundation for you to move forward with. When you think about it, they're like the protectors of the fourth trimester for both mum and, and baby. And as, as life in society has changed and we don't have that that kind of village feel a lot of the time, we don't have this big group of women that maybe are able to step in. It's like that that they've taken on that role. Um, and I'm fascinated about it in the Netherlands. And it's interesting to see how that may correlate with their breastfeeding rates in, in the Netherlands and how long women successfully continue to feed for. Yeah, I guess we've spoken a lot about how important support is in our villages during the fourth trimester. And just in light of the last 18 months through COVID, through social distancing and quarantining, um, you know, a lot of that was taken away from a lot of new parents that, you know, you didn't have people who were able to come around and do the practical jobs that would really, really help you that even emotional support wise and practical support it all had to be done online um which i think has been amazing to highlight the importance of um online support but it's just something that yeah it literally just dawned on me now when we're talking about it is that just an appreciation for all new parents during this pandemic and how they've had to navigate the fourth trimester with not only the obstacles that are thrown at you by society and by people's opinions, but also the limitation of that physical contact with people. Now, flip side, maybe not having well-meaning friends and in-laws coming in could have given them the opportunity <laughs> to really engross themselves in, in the fourth trimester. And maybe actually a lot of parents found themselves naturally falling into that way because they didn't have those external factors. So, yeah, it'd be an interesting one. I think it's been a two, from my experience, it's been a two-edged coin. I, I, I have yet to meet, have <laughs> yet to find a mommy who said that not having millions of visitors, particularly mommies of second babies, um, have all said that it was great in a way because they were able to get that time to bond with the baby. And that's literally how they put it. And they didn't have a million and one visitors coming in on top of them. And that part was great. But the other part was that they didn't have the mommy groups so they didn't have the groups to be able to go and have the cup of tea and the chat and the go, well, my baby's doing this at this age. Is that normal? Or and then having the other mommies go, yeah. And, or maybe having as usually happens at mommy groups, somebody's going to have a little cry because it's very emotional and, and they haven't had that part. So I think it's been a real it's been a real kind of double edged sword, I think, yeah. um, with the pandemic, you know. Yeah. 
that highlights okay. the importance of what we're talking about, doesn't it, lads? That the yeah. the double edged coin. So the one side is it works when we give mummies space and respect that twelve week period when we respect their space to bond with baby, and we also need supports around. We need to have groups and we need to have people who are um, trained and, and kind of experts in their area available to parents. So like I, to me, it's it's just listening to Lynn there. I was like, that's exactly it. We need to respect this space and we need to support people. Um, in the yes. right way, support people in the right way, in the way they in need the right to way. be supported, not the way we think they might need to be or need to be supported. Okay, well, thanks everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can find out more information and support from our Facebook group, Extended Breastfeeding in Ireland, and from your local Quidju, La Leche League and Friends of Breastfeeding Support Groups. Have a good day.